The Talk of the Street is brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today. Mmm. Got some responses to me baiting out. <gasps> Let's see. Oh, oh no! <laughs> what is Creep. that? Creep, how'd you delete it? Uh, goodbye, Mr. Torso Meat. <laughs> the next one should be better. Welcome to episode 59 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that promises never to push for an intervention when a porcelain figurine is used as a conch and a mannequin Audrey is used as a Sue Nichols. I'm Gavin. <laughs> and I'm amused. Again. No. You've used amused before. Have I used amused? Okay. Yeah, and I've used hot. And I am patriotic. Oh, happy 4th of July. Happy the 4th of July, my darling. Happy of the 4th of the July. It's your first 4th of July as a United States citizen. It absolutely is. How, how patriotic does that make you feel? Mm. <laughs> Not hugely. You didn't have to walk in the parade this year, though. I didn't. I was thankful for that because it was fucking hot. <laughs> it really was. I think it actually was hotter last year, though. Do you think so? Mm-hmm. I was sweating more last year. I think it just feels hotter this year because I was out in the heat. From 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Yeah. Because I'm... Stupid. A masochist. <laughs> I just hate myself that much. No, because I was uh, doing a Girl Scout cookie booth, and then I was manning a table for the subcommittee, for one of my city subcommittees, and then... Did you wind up doing that? Yes. I was bouncing back and forth. Okay. I uh, gave Bernie and his wife a break for a while, and then I kept going back to offer my assistance, and they kept saying, no, 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 we're fine, we're fine. We closed up shop a little early on on that one, though, because by, like, 3 o'clock, everybody who was still there had already been to our table at least once. So we were kind of like, meh. Oh, for the cookie booth? No. Oh, for the other no, thing? No, for the Oak Ridge Park subcommittee. Why were, why were people going to that? Uh, we were handing out brochures because a lot of people don't know where Oak Ridge Park is and that it's named <laughs> like Oak Ridge me. Park because most people still think of it as the Northwestern School Park. Oh, right, okay. Right. Um, and we had coloring pages with different leaves of different trees that you can find in the park. So we figured it would be a nice thing for kids to come by and color a leaf. And while they're coloring a leaf, we could talk to the parents about um, the six miles of trails that we have back in the park and everything. So I was doing that. It's quite busy yesterday, which is why, which is one of the reasons why I was okay with not going to the fireworks last night. Our dog wasn't happy at all. No, he wasn't. I had to stay up pretty late, calming him down. Yeah, not spend like two hours calming him. Right. Yeah, and as you well, spent so... two hours calming him down while I was taking a nap. So. 
So oh, he was not like a happy having a champion. newborn again Seriously, in the house. and that's not going to get any better. <laughs> well, it will once he goes deaf in like ten years' time. Oh, that's something to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> so that was it. That was the Fourth of July, which is a very busy uh, parade in, in town. There's only like five thousand people that live in our town, but. It seems like there's 20,000 people out on the sidewalks when the parade's going by. And it's a Absolutely. good parade. It's a good length parade. But yeah. by God, by the end of it, you're done. Yeah. Do I need to see another fire truck? No. No. Or another to... tractor. Oh, so many tractors. So many tractors. <laughs> Yikes. All different kinds. Well, all, all... not really. <laughs> there's a lot of repetition in there. <laughs> and if that wasn't excitement enough, the day before was our anniversary. So happy anniversary to you. Oh, well, thank you very much. Seven years down. Seven years, which is copper, wool, and stationery. stationery, which none of that's the easiest thing to buy for in the middle of summer. Especially not wool. No. (laughs) You know, I was tempted. I got this. um, Do you remember that uh, really fancy house in Okemos that I, I, I texted you and I said, this is my dream house. Ha 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 ha. Right. Yeah, when I was there at that house for the estate sale, I had bought this uh, really nice sheep that was like, I think it's steel, but then it's got like real wool on it. And even though I bought it like, was it two, three weeks ago? And even though it's been in our bedroom on the shelf since that time, I was tempted to just add it to your box because I'm sure you've never noticed it. I haven't noticed it. I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm not even, I'm not even maybe. That's a nope. No idea. But you got me this lovely wooden desk organizer, which is sitting right next to me. Yeah, it seems to work quite nicely there. Yeah, it's, it's working. Keeps all your bits and bobs together. Pretty well, and uh, some Moscow Mule copper. I didn't realize they were Moscow Mule when I bought them. Cups. I just thought they were copper mugs. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see Moscow Mule anywhere in the description for those things. Yeah, that's all right. Oh, well. You couldn't find any copper jewelry, though, I guess. And if that wasn't enough... It was Canada Day the day before that. Oh, my goodness. I think, maybe. Ish. Oh, Canada. So happy Canada Day. Home and what? So happy Canada Day to all our Canadian listeners. Absolutely. Of which we have quite a few. Yes, yes. We are loved in Canada, which is awesome. Yep. Because we love Canadians and we love Canada. And all the poutine that you can possibly make. We live close enough to the border so that if... It all goes south here in the US of A. <laughs> Please let us in. <laughs> We're close enough to just make a run for it. Or swim for it, actually. <laughs> I can see us doing neither of those things. <laughs> to drive for it, I think, is <laughs> the verb that we're looking for. <sighs> Shall we... A preamble, my dear? Sure. Oh. <laughs> Corey News. Nope. Nope. I have a theme tune. I don't need you to do that. I know, but it's fun. <laughs> do you have any current news this week? I do. <gasps> you do? Wow. Don't act so shocked. Look at you with little cards and everything. Yes. I'm what current pro- news do you have for us? I'm Hopefully it's not from <laughs> April, like last week. <laughs> very professional. <clears throat> Tomorrow is London Pride. and That's quite late, isn't it? That's what I thought. I mean, here in America, Pride is June, and uh, and and the actual Pride Day is oh god, it's the day of the st- it's the anniversary of the Stonewall riots, which is it was two June weeks ago, twenty 
Yeah, that's what I thought. It's it's the anniversary of the Stonewall riots, and that's when most of the parades are held here in America. There was right. one right up in Lansing that we didn't go to because I think we had other kid stuff. I, I think I was do. taking the kids back to Connecticut that weekend. Is what was happening. <laughs> No, I think it was the week before that, was it? although it might not have been if it was the 26th. But anyway, Pride, the London Pride Parade is tomorrow. And Corey favorites, Charlie DeBello, Daniel Brocklebank, and Sterling Gallagher will all be attendants at London Pride. So oh, a bravo. That's our Imran, our Billy, and our Paula. Fantastic. And we love them all. Especially Charlie. <laughs> we don't have favourites, Charlie. <laughs> <clears throat> In other favourite news, oh. the Inside Soap Awards nominations have been announced. That's right, I noticed that. And two of our absolute favourites, Catherine Pierce, who played Lolly, and Cassie Bradley, who plays Natalie, were both nominated for Best Bad Girl. So congratulations to you both. Hopefully you both get it because we love <laughs> you both equally. Was Lolly a bad girl? I don't think she was. Kind of bad. She she ripped up Rada's wedding dress. That's bad. With cause. Right. Well, no, not really with cause. Wasn't it? I seem, no. to, I seem to be remembering this differently. <laughs> no, because she felt she personally felt slighted, but that's not cause. All because Kate couldn't let somebody else in her fucking wedding. That was pretty much was wasn't it? That was it. Because Lolly was being weird at that point. Yeah. Remember? No, stop! Know. Stop giving Lolly excuses. <laughs> we enjoyed as Lolly as much as we loved her, and we enjoyed the coke up Natalie as well. Yes. And we continue to love Coked Up Natalie. Hopefully yep. she comes back. I uh, I was watching, um, the, I think it was a BBC show, Home Fires, and there's a woman on there that I thought was Cassie, but it wasn't, and it made me sad. So she, there's another actress in England who kind of looks like her, would you believe, because it's a small country. Right. <laughs> other uh, <gasps> Corey nominations yes. for the Inside Soap Awards. We have Rob Mallard, who plays Daniel, Mikey North, who plays Gary, and Jack P. Shepard, who plays David, Not all the up dog. for right. Best Actor. And I, I think you can, I think you could safely assume which one of those three yeah, are so my favorite, is my favorite. Yeah, I think Corey's. Jack <coughs> P. Shepard. That's <laughs> nailing its nomination to the post there, I think. <laughs> no, no offense to the others, but. No, no, no. Alison King, who plays Carla, Katie McGlynn, who plays Sinead, and Tina O'Brien, who plays Sarah, are all up for Best Actress. You don't look like that. I'm not looking like anything. This is my wrestling face. <laughs> Your rested bitch face. <laughs> Mikey North, who plays Gary, and Ben Price, who plays Nick, both up for Best Bad Boy. No. <laughs> Joe Dutine, who plays Tim, and Andrew Wyman, who plays Kirk, are both up for Funniest Male. Come on, Tim. Bring it home. Oi! Patty Clare, who plays R. Mary, and Maureen Lippman, who plays Evil Gran. Oh, superb. Both up for Funniest Female. Oh, that's an interesting and one. And... Because Evelyn wasn't really funny until quite recently. Ah, she was all... Well, 
Except for mashing her granddaughter's face into a bathroom <laughs> wall. She was always fun. Living room wall, but yeah. Was it the living room? I thought it was the bathroom. No, it was the front room. Anyway. Anyway, go Patty Claire. As much as I love Evil Gran, yep. she's also nominated Lippen, yeah. for something else. Maureen Lipman and Ruxandra Porozhenko, who plays Alina, are both up for Best Newcomer. And really, because Alina hasn't really uh, been, been in. like three episodes. Very much. So right. go Maureen Lipman for that one. That's, you know, that's the way my fence post is leaning for that one. Right. Uh, Kyron Bowes, who plays Jack, and Elle Mulvaney, who plays Amy, are both up for Best Young Actor, and I think both of them have done fantastic job this year in their separate storylines of yeah. losing a leg and losing a baby. Right. Correct, yeah. Yeah. Sally Dynavore and Joe Dutine, who play Sally and Tim, and Allison King, and Chris Gascione, who plays... Gascione. Car- what else? Who play Carla and Peter. They're both up for best partnership. We do look a bit sully and Tim. We do. But that's... <laughs> that's for, we're a bit biased. Although you will, you will never love a horse. No, God, no. <laughs> Carla's mental health episode and the factory collapse are both up for best showstopper. Gary is the factory killer. And Gemma and Chesney are having quads are both... Exclamation point. Yes. Are both up for best shock twist. And are Nigel Havers, who played Lewis, and Bavna Mbakia, who plays who played Rana, are both up for best exit. So Really? <laughs> Nigel Havers is up for best exit? You turned a heart attack and he died, that was it. Off screen. Right. Although his funeral was pretty funny. It was. It was. But that's not what's getting no, best exit. Well, maybe, because a funeral is an exit. Yeah, Bavnius, I think, is probably yeah. going to be the main one from that. Yes, yes, and fingers crossed for her, because she did a good job. She did. All right, and that's our Corey News. Mailbag. Oh. Canadian Helen. Oh. Uh, Canadian Helen got in touch this week, would you believe, Helen? <laughs> she just wanted to mention that... <laughs> Helen's singing is very sweet. She adds a beautiful musical interlude to the episode. I wonder why. I wonder why Canadian Helen felt compelled because to write that. Because you made that such out. a big deal of that. I made a big deal out of it. Yes, you did. I, I think you made. I made a big deal out of it. I said one thing. Desperate for the validation from Canadian Helen. Well, you got it. Oh, but then we also heard from Canadian Gillian. All oh, right. She Another- said, "No." I think I I've made it, I've made it clear that I'm about the validation, right? I I love a bit of validation. This is Yeah, and you're giving me a hard time. This is one hundred percent validation. Absolutely. Canadian, we love this. Canadian Gentleman says, Love you guys, been listening to your podcast every week for the last Aww. few months since I found you. Aww. You guys are so funny together. Aww. And being from Nova Scotia, Canada, we are two weeks behind, but I love the spoilers. And she's fortunate to have seen 25 cast members from the street with VIP meets and greets. And it'll be an extra couple in uh, September when she meets Roy and Brian, who are visiting for the Corey Canadian meetup, which I think is outside Toronto or the other side of Toronto. Yeah. We should really think about going. If we possibly can, we will. Yeah. I think it's. So be- if anybody is involved in this meetup, I would like us there. Oh. Maybe do a live broadcast. <gasps> live? Oh, shit, that'd be terrible. 
or do a live show and a time delayed you know, uh, podcast <laughs> podcasters do live shows all the time and they do stuff so and we do love we do love canada so anybody who's involved in that meetup let us know send us slide into our dms oh i don't know what that <laughs> means but by all means go for it just not that way hinting corner Who owns the salon? Well, Rita gave Maria a loan to go into business with Claudia, then Maria pulled out to go into partnership with Audrey, but Claudia had already spent her money so couldn't pay it back. Remember that? Yes. Then later, Audrey sold her part of the business to Claudia so she could afford repairs to her house. Correct. And this is what pissed David off and was a catalyst to him setting himself up at the Barbers, which she recently signed back to Audrey. Right. So Audrey owns the Barbers... She Claudia doesn't... either owns a salon outright or shares it with Maria. I suspect it's maybe the former. Right. We still don't know. So so Audrey has absolutely no business bossing Maria around. No. Is, is e- our conclusion. Either way. Yeah. Absolutely not. So maybe the show forgot that. <laughs> right. Then last <laughs> or maybe week, Maria is just really nice. Then last week I guessed that Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was from 1988. I wasn't far out. It was 1989. Yeah. What you drinking? I'm drinking uh, ginger ale kombucha, and I need to stay hydrated. It's just so, in so stupidly hot. healthy, healthy ways. <laughs> but I do like a little bit of fizz, so I'd rather have fizz from this and from a soda that can give me kidney stones. Yes. What are you drinking? The same as last week. Which is what? I checked back last week. <laughs> Shall He's we? He's drinking a Bush NA and a Diet Verner's. Shall we dive in, my dear? This is taking a bit longer than usual. Yeah, well, that's because there was a lot of news. There was a lot of news. Our first story tonight is Tim's fucking dad. Oh, go fuck off, Tim's dad. (laughs) On Monday then, Yasmin is up and about waking Alia up who fell asleep on the sofa. It takes no time at all for Yasmin to realise that the photos in the ring box are gone. Then Tim's dad is up wanting to know what the commotion is all about and Yasmin announces that they've been robbed. Tim's dad thinks that Alia's mates are the prime suspects. Then Yasmin is listing the missing items to Alia. Photos of her dad, his wedding ring, her necklace, maybe some other stuff. Tim's dad has already phoned the police and in the meantime he thinks that they should stop inviting strangers into their home. Oh, and those picture frames. In comes Ryan. He can't believe it. Tim's dad calls uh, the two DJ guys thugs who have stolen Yasmin's memories. Ugh, thugs. Such a bad word. Then Tim's dad is changing the locks on the door. For some reason, Tim's dad gets Adam involved in this, asking him if he thinks that the insurance will cough up. Adam is polite, and Mm. Yasmin tells him what's been nicked, which now includes a bracelet that she wore on her wedding day. I wonder why Tim's dad got Adam involved in this. Because he wants the money. Oh, And And he's trying to cover his ass. If he's the one who contacts the lawyer... It was just strangely specific to Adam, and I thought maybe Adam would... Crop up later and maybe be a bit of a saviour to this, but he doesn't do it this week, so... Maybe next. So then Alia and Ryan are hanging out in the Rovers talking about the thievery and how Tim's dad seems to be taking a bit of glee from making Alia feel bad about the whole thing. Ryan gets a text from a mate telling them where the boys from last night are. So Ryan and Alia finish up the rinks and they're in hot pursuit. Hot pursuit. Meanwhile, Yasmin is feeling overwhelmed. First she was mugged and then she was robbed. She can't help but feel targeted. Tim's dad is sympathetic and then goes off to get some new keys cut, leaving Yasmin feeling vulnerable all on her own. Yeah, and nice he's one, Tim's just dad. 
just slowly and surely taking over every aspect of her life. And it's not good. It's very triggering for me. So the DJ boys apparently have pleaded their innocence to Alia and Ryan, although we don't get to see any of that. No. Then we see Tim's dad get out of his car, because Tim's dad's got a car now, and Yasmin's necklace falls out of his pocket. Oblivious that he's being watched, Tim's dad picks it up and walks away on the phone to someone or something. What's Tim's dad doing with Yasmin's necklace, asks Ryan, and Alia is now very suspicious that the culprit of the burglary is someone much closer to home. Mm-hmm. So they go back to the house, startling Yasmin in the process, and Alia comes out and accuses Tim's dad of staging the robbery to punish Yasmin. She's not convinced, and then in comes Tim's dad calling Alia a proper little Poirot. <laughs> Alia sets Ryan to check uh, Tim's dad's pockets, which Tim's dad allows. And Ryan finds a necklace, but then finds the receipt for the necklace in Tim's dad's wallet. Mm-hmm. According to Tim's dad, he knew how much she loved it, so bought a replacement. And pissed hmm. off, he storms out. Hmm. And he also got really pissy when uh, Yasmin got upset about the bracelet going missing. Like, why would you want to keep something from your yeah memory for from your from first for, from your horrible first marriage? Blah right. blah blah blah. Right. He's very he's making a lot of assumptions here that you know that Yasmin wouldn't care quite so much. Right. About these things going missing. But I think he's doing it because he he does want her to care. He wants he wants to be controlling every aspect of her life and wants to erase all memory of her past life. I think he wants to hurt her as well though, doesn't he? He's wanting to make her feel terrible. I think he I think in part he wants her to feel terrible about the DJ guys being in the house and having fun that didn't involve him but i think he's doing it because he's a controlling asshole who wants to control every aspect of her life you know because that's the way he thinks he's supposed to have a relationship it's just an interesting tact that he takes because last week when ryan was giving him a hard time about being the elderly dj Mm mm-hmm he chooses to spill Yasmin's drink on uh, Ryan's DJ equipment, so so it looks so like Yasmin, Yasmin gets the blame right. for that. So he's got a beef with Ryan, but he does something to make Yasmin take the blame for it. Right. And then in this situation, he's pissed off because the the DJ guys again are taking the piss mm-hmm. out of him for being old, which he is. Right. So it's like, hello, what, what what's the argument here? Because you are old and white and bald and stupid. Right. It's all gaslighting. And yet he's he's punishing Yasmin again for, for mm-hmm. this. He's not punishing them no. at all. No. So uh, he's, he's deflecting the, 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 the direction for his anger in the wrong place, I think. It's all, it's all gaslighting so that she feels bad about herself so that she will stay with him. Because the lower her self-esteem, the more she's going to cling to him. But it's like he feels that badly about her. It's like, why would he even want her to be sticking close to her? Because it's like he doesn't particularly like her. Never no. mind love her. Well, obviously he doesn't love her because somebody like that is incapable of truly loving another person. Does he even like her? I'm sure he likes her. He wants to be in a relationship with her, but he wants to be the main controlling aspect of that relationship. 
And in order to do that, he has to make her feel less than. And in order to do that, he has to do things that will hurt her feelings, but will build himself up. If that makes any sense. That's fucked up. It is fucked up. It's very fucked up. And it happens in real life to women all the time. Oh, I'm sure. So Tim's dad is around at Tim's giving him a very different version of events. Seemingly, Yasmin was wearing the black cap around at their house. He didn't stand a chance to explain, and Ryan's hands were in his pockets before he could even say sexual harassment. Right, yeah, and Yasmin didn't protest, when, you know, and tell Ryan to stop when she was check- when he was checking her po- his pockets. And he's, it's like, you said it was okay. You're the one who said, check my pockets. Uncheck my wanted, wallet. Yeah. You wanted that receipt to be found. It's like Tim's mum all over again. Mm-hmm. And once again, I have cause to wonder exactly how Tim's mum killed herself. Hmm. Tim's dad gets a call from someone called Little Vaz. He pretends it's Jasmine and he dinges it, saying mm-hmm. that he'll speak to her when he's good and ready. So later, Tim's dad meets up with Little Baz, who's actually quite big, in the alleyway. He sells the burgled items that he stole from Yasmin to Little Baz for 450 quid. He just wants rid of the stuff and tells Baz to be really discreet for where he got it. And then he takes uh, the picture of Alia's dad, he takes it out of the photo frame, and he tears it up. Yeah, because he's an asshole. Isn't uh, Little Vaz, isn't that the same guy that was involved with uh, Roy's ring? Isn't that the same guy that Paul sold Roy's ring to? No. Because that was also a very large man who was involved in uh, in the sketchy jewellery trade. Yeah, but that guy was from Goodnight Sweetheart and Bread, and this other guy wasn't. Mm. The, the first guy from Roy's rings was kind of famous in the UK. This other boy was just a big fat guy. <laughs> well, they were both big fat guys. One was so famous and one apparent, wasn't. Apparently, uh, the there casting are director... of big fat guys. <laughs> apparently, the casting director of Coronation Street thinks that all... They had no extra money to throw that big fat guy. people... All uh, all jewelry scalpers are big fat white dudes. Yep. <laughs> and who's to say they're wrong? <laughs> then Yasmin tracks Tim's dad down to the rovers and he makes a big deal over handing over the newly cut keys. He won't be needing them, he says. She begs for him to stay, saying that he's the best thing that's happened to her in ages. Ugh. Well, what about Alia, says Tim's dad, because he can't stay in the house where he's not trusted. And Yasmin says that Alia is sorry. And has explained, and Yasmin has explained how Tim's dad is important to her. In that case, I'd better stay put, says Tim's dad. Fuck you, Tim's dad. So, <laughs> so Alia and Ryan have decamped to speed dial. How could she have got it so wrong? Maybe she does resent Tim's dad after all, and perhaps it's time to let Yasmin live her life and stuff, and Ryan can sympathise. Alia goes to off to face the music. I'm confused as to the relationship here. Is Ryan still going out with Bethany? No, they're just mates. So is Ryan going out with Alia? I think that's the direction we're heading. Because when we left it, Ryan had got his hole of Bethany. Yeah. I'm, and now I have no idea who's going they to... haven't been together It's not been since. mentioned for weeks. But then Bethany got mad at him about the whole Alia thing, so she kind of broke it off with him. Did she? And then Alia was mad as well. I remember that. They were both mad at him, but now Ali is not mad at him, so that's probably the direction. And honestly, that's the, probably the better coupling. Alia? Alia and Ryan, yeah. than oh. Ryan and Bethany. Because Alia is, is closer in age to Ryan than Bethany is. 
they kind of both have the same cheeky kind of sense of humor. Alia could use some joy in her life. So I'm I approve. I approve of this couple that will eventually happen. Lovely stuff. Two thumbs up. So Anya comes home to find Tim's dad talking to Yasmin about the burglary again and never allowing strangers in here ever again. Alia is a little taken aback but pretends to be fine until Tim's dad hints that she should fuck off and find somewhere else to live. It might be best for all concerned. And that's what Alia agrees to do, starting tomorrow, which takes Yasmin back a little bit. Yeah, and Yasmin's like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to go because she genuinely doesn't want her granddaughter to go. Her granddaughter is the only bit of her son she has left now that um z has moved to yeah, zidane's in london? london still and he's oh engaged? no he's in he's in australia now yeah but wasn't he just in australia for like a, a honeymoon or something oh, or maybe. A, a, a pre-wedding trip remember he called rana and said he was engaged he was going on this trip right and wanted to let her know so this is why i won't be back for your funeral when that happens right yes <laughs> very very, very well well done there. <laughs> On Wednesday, Tim's dad has made Yasmin a wonderful breakfast with champers and everything. And chicken. Yeah, yeah chicken fucking casserole again. Yeah, with it, the gall of this guy who keeps giving her a hard time, you know, and insinuating she's this big alky, and then he serves her champagne for breakfast without even any orange juice in it. Right. What the hell? He asks if she's sure about the alga decision. It's what she wants, says Yasmin, but she shall miss her. No. So it seems that Tim's dad's got Yasmin's permission to negotiate insurance deals, and he hopes... Yeah, see, this is... It's... He's going to kill her, isn't he? No. He's the real villain. He's going to get life insurance out on her. He's changed the locks. He's going to kill Yasmin, and he probably killed Tim's (laughs) mum. This is... Yeah. This is happening. Tim doesn't want to talk about Tim's mum. Yeah. That's think really sad. Tim's mum went the same way as Mr. Biscuits. Was Tim's mum Mr. Biscuits? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Something to ponder on. Oh, whatever you say, Mr. Biscuits, it makes me think of the character Mr. Peanut Butter from Bojack Horseman, a show you've never watched. When I see Mr. Biscuits, I can smell a fart. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. It just makes me think of a fart. <laughs> are you thinking... And other things that go into my head. Are you thinking British biscuits when you think of farts, or are you thinking of American biscuits? Uh, probably uh, probably both, but I think American biscuits are probably smellier because they've got you gravy on them. You know, Well, they don't always have gravy on them. You yeah. can serve them with butter and jam. Mm. They're really good that way. So anyway, he hopes that he can... <laughs> He can get our other financial bits and bobs in the future. Yeah, see, this is... Yeah, mm-hmm. He's going to kill her. She's thankful for his help, and then he plays his sympathy cards to close when he says that he knows what it's like to lose a child, because he doesn't, and Yasmin storms out at this. Yes, she's like, you don't know what it's like. You still have Tim. <laughs> As he is. Shut the fuck up. So Yasmin's that utter dick Tim's dad has put up a picture of Cal on the wall. How he got the original for this, God only knows. And it's like a specially commissioned like painting with his his likeness superimposed, which you would think would have taken longer than 
24 hours the to hour or two. have yeah. produced. Was it the same as the photo that he ripped up? I think so. Which suggests that he kept a hold of it, pieced it together and got somebody to commission that? Oh, Tim's dad. Who knows? Because, once again, he seems a little taken aback that that she's upset about this picture gone missing because he's like oh well you don't want these memories of sad things around why wouldn't she want a picture of her dead child that's he's so twisted in his messed up little brain right you know oh ah Uh, so, uh, Tim's dad asks for forgiveness and Yasmin agrees. But there's more, though, says Tim's dad. I have oh, another surprise oh. for you. Random fact of the week. Kayla's barbecue fire devastates local woodland. There'll be another random fact of the week. Next what? Week. That was on the front page of the newspaper that Tim's dad was reading. Oh. So, so it's not really a fact. It's a made-up news story. What are you trying to say? Fake news from the Weatherfield <laughs> Gazette? So Yasmin comes home hating on uh, self-service checkouts. Tim's dad has that surprise. He saved her 247 quid by moving her insurance or something. But wait a minute, he's been a twat. He's given the old company his bank details by accident for the payout or something. Mm-hmm. Well, fucking phone them back, you arsehole, says Yasmin. And Tim's dad does, but is immediately put in a queue. Kill me now, says Tim's dad, which unfortunately no one in a particularly literal frame of mind is within earshot to hear. Right, and it's playing green sleeves for some reason right. for the whole music when it's not even Christmas. Just give me the cash when you get the payout, says Yasmin, and Tim's dad is agreeable to this and then has a little shifty look in his face. Right, yeah, because he's not giving her the money because by the time that money comes in, he's already he will already have killed her for the life insurance. So that's what that was all about. Mm-hmm. Because I thought this was maybe the way that he was going to get found out was he'd given the wrong bank details to this insurance company. Right, but The he's... bank details that got the money from the burglary sale or whatever. Right, put into his account. So he's And she's up. going to forget about it. He's starting to move her money into his account. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah. And she's so oblivious. It makes me sad. Yeah. I'm sad for you. Because she's smart. And she, I, I like how they're, they're continuing to keep her smart. She has her moments where she's like, no, this is absolutely not, this right. is not happening. But then he's able to connive her into things, even after she says no. Right. Yeah. <sighs> you so, know, and he continues to break down her confidence, which breaks down her confidence in her own intelligence right. and in her own intuitiveness. Which is why she says, oh, no bother, just give me the money afterwards. When anybody in their right minds would say, yeah, you're going to stay on hold. Just just put it on speaker. It's not that big of a deal, you big fat baby. Right. But this is when she starts to complain about self-checkout aisles is when he's telling her about almost killing himself because of green sleeves. They both don't want... They want actual people. people. Yeah, taking... People's jobs or something. Yeah, they don't want robots taking people's jobs. So, Which, fair point. On Friday, this merges into the Carla's back storyline that we'll talk about later. So we shall draw a line under that for now. Okay. Our next storyline tonight, Maria's Hole. Or lack thereof. Or lack thereof. Maria and Chill. 
<laughs> so there we go. <laughs> so on Monday, Maria is at the barber's lamenting her life to Emma. It turns out that the block that Emma copped off with the other day had a tattoo of a dead guinea pig on, her, on his chest. How does she know that it was dead? They have little X's for eyes. Was I guess it, it must like, have. Laying on its back with X's for eyes. I guess it must have. Was there like a little trickle of blood coming out of its mouth? Mm-hmm. How does she know it's dead? It's a tattoo. Yeah, I don't think the deadness or otherwise the guinea pig was really the complaint. It's just the fact that he has a guinea pig tattoo on his chest. What if? What if he has had a beloved guinea pig as a pet and is memorializing his beloved pet guinea pig? Then he needs to fucking get over himself. Oh. Says the man with a tenant's tea on his calf. That's because it's my favourite. It's not because because it's dead when it was a pet. And plus I've put enough money into that company over the years. I fucking deserve a tea on my leg. Yeah, but they didn't pay for it. No, they didn't, sadly. That was very expensive to get for what it was. Yeah. Two or three hundred bucks for that. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yours was more expensive. Was it? Mm Mm-hmm. Yours was about four hundred. That was four hundred. That was four hundred, but there's no color in it. No. Huh. <laughs> I'm sorry. This is news to you. <laughs> well, thank you very weekend. much. I love you for getting me my heart and cross tattoo. Guinea pig or not, at least you got your hole, says Maria, who is definitely glass half empty these days. Correct. Later, and thinking she's on her own, Maria does a frankly deplorable impression of Robert De Niro from Taxi Driver in the Mirror with a hair dryer. I just wanted that to stop. As soon as it was, please stop. Please, please stop doing that. You're talking to me. I don't see nobody else here. You must be talking to me. Yeah, yours is just as bad as hers was. Yeah. I'm really disappointed now that the uh, Sofa Cinema Club isn't doing Taxi Driver next. Oh, that's a tough watch. It is a tough watch. I don't think Coulson could handle it, quite frankly. <laughs> I don't know. He liked Goodfellas. Oh, this There's is... a lot of killing in Goodfellas. Mm, this is an altogether different level for Taxi Driver, yeah. though, I think. Probably. So in comes Ali and Maria is mortified. Ali's looking for a haircut that he probably doesn't need. And then Maria gets a call from the school letting her know that Liam isn't well, so she has to throw Ali out. I think Ali needs a haircut. He's, Did he's he? got that he's got that weird fifties comb over thing going on in the front of his head. Oh no, he's fine. <laughs> so, so You say that about anybody who still has hair. <laughs> yes, quit complaining. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> So Maria's at the health centre with Liam. Apparently he's been eating mud. That was quite funny. She sees Ali, who takes the piss out of her a little bit about the taxi driver incident. And he says that the wait won't be too much longer, which confuses Maria, who thinks that he works there. And she seems very determined not to let him go for a pee. This is all very confusing. Because Ali doesn't work there. But why is he there? And I thought he did work there. And he says it won't be too much longer. And how does he know that? And why doesn't Maria want him to go pee? Anyway. Well, he he's just trying to be comforting because she's frustrated. And he does know people there, so he can maybe have a word with somebody. He does. So Maria gets home to find that Emma has got a bottle of vino and plans to get them both hooked up to Mr. Right. Maria's confused and even Emma wiggling her laptop in front of her isn't enough to make the scales fall from Maria's eyes. No, because supposedly she's too old to know about the internet. Yeah, she's forgotten all about the internet. <laughs> Maria describes her perfect guy, who Emma thinks sounds like David Gandhi meets the actual Gandhi. Oh. She finishes off her profile, which Emma thinks is way too honest. Single mum, unlucky in love, and their interests aren't very 21st century. 
She goes off to get more wine while Maria reconsiders. She changes her about me to say that she doesn't need to be taken to a fancy restaurant to be impressed. She's quite happy to Netflix and chill. And she posts this to her profile without letting Emma check it over first. And Emma doesn't ask when she gets back, supposedly. Right. You'd think Emma, who this whole idea was hers, would have said, oh, what did you write? Let me check. No, she went for but a that doesn't happen. and became distracted and they talked about something else. Hmm. On Wednesday, Maria and Bethany are in Roy's roles and Maria has got some responses to her ad and she's very excited about this, but they all seem to be... Dick pics. Dick pics. Yay, dick pics. Have you ever gotten a dick pic? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, that took a turn. <laughs> it happens. Who sent your dick pic? Oh, in between you and John when I was... Okay, I don't want to know about any of that. Yeah. Goodbye, Mr. Torso Meat, says Bethany as she deletes the messages. She quickly realises that Maria used the phrase... Netflix and chill. Right. And Bethany has to explain what that's code for. And apparently, Bethany thinks that's code for perverts may apply within. Right. When it just means that she likes to stay home and Let's get have home. sex. Yep. Which it, people other than perverts have sex. As Bethany should know by now because she had sex with Ryan quite recently. Although maybe she thinks he's a pervert too. So who knows? Then Maria's giving Tyrone a shave and quizzing him on why he dumped her. He can't remember because it was years ago. He dumped her for fizz. Right. And you I should think be it able was to remember that. Kind of fizz manipulated that situation a little bit. Hmm. I seem to remember, I'm not sure. Meanwhile, Ali's hanging around the barbers like a bad smell and Maria is utterly oblivious to his intentions. Later in the rovers, Ali continues to flirt with an oblivious Maria. He admits to overhearing her grilling of Tyrone earlier and thought the nipple clamps were a step too far. He thinks the search for a new fella might be closer to home than she thinks, but all Maria can see in Weatherfield is no shortage of her exes. He's ne- she's never dated Ali. No. So... I don't know why they've made Maria suddenly so very much either oblivious to what's obviously in front of her and not mm-hmm. at all au fait with the workings of dating in the 21st century considering that we're 20 years into it right and she's what 29 no she's in her 30s mid 30s I thought she was like 29 nah, 32 said, she said herself she's a single mom in her mid 30s i thought she, i thought on her profile it said 32 uh, th- maybe 35 i think she doesn't look 35 yeah Good bone structure, that's what that is. That's right. I think I'd be quite happy to see Ali and Maria. Yes, again. Hook up. I approve of this coupling. It's quite easy to make me happy these days. Yeah. Ali's nice. Maria's quite nice. She has a very bad reputation for being the other woman. Right. So Which is rather unfair. Cause... Mm, I think it's there. She cheats on people quite a bit. Because Fizz, as as you just mentioned, Fizz stole Ty from Maria. So, right. meh. Anyway, if that's where that's going... It's fine. That's fine by us. We approve of both Ali and Ryan having relationships with people. That means pretty much everybody's coupled up. Yeah, surprise, surprise. 
Our next story is Sean and Billy and Paul. This annoyed the hell out of me. <laughs> it, it, it annoyed the hell out of me a bit too because it just... Are there really only three gay men in the world? Really? Uh, on the street, yeah, so it seems. So Monday, Sean is preparing for that date that he's been talking about for the past, I don't know, month and a half. Mm-hmm. Paul is taking the piss out of it because the date's picture is blurry, which usually means that he's either old or Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> You're Shrek. Oi, you cheeky shit. <laughs> Shrek for Halloween and people in town call you Shrek. It's a it's a term of affection. I hope not. An endearment. I hope not because not I because look like you, a... Not because you're green and have weird horny ear thingy things and you know live in a swamp and smell bad. Oh, I don't think I'm going to go out anymore. <laughs> I thought it was just because I was Scottish. Right. It's because you're Scottish. Even though Michael Myers is not Scottish. He's Canadian. Yes. Hi Helen. <laughs> Sean, we love Canadians Sean, Paul and Billy are in the Rovers and Sean is laying on thick about his date who Billy thinks is a 90s Keanu Reeves Sean goes off to powder Keanu his Reeves nose Keanu is everywhere these days, even <laughs> in Coronation Street and of course he leaves his phone in the bar which allows Paul to send a text to the date Sean catches him but he doesn't seem too put out by this, he's cool as a cucumber I wasn't sure what the point of the whole, that whole thing was He sent a text. I think Sean pretends to be cool as a cucumber okay. What is the text? Do well, we never know? I don't think we find out. Or I certainly yeah. didn't notice. I was kind of hoping you would. No, no, we don't notice. And it's kind of a dick move of Paul. Oh, better watch so, yeah. And it confuses me as to why he doesn't want Sean to date anybody and then maybe move out of Billy's into the home of somebody else if he is feeling threatened by Sean. Yeah, given where we end up, that seems like a perfectly it's weird. legitimate point of view. In the rovers, Paul is worried that Billy is too concerned about Sean, and Billy thinks that Paul is jealous and insists that Sean is in his past, Paul is his present, and hopes his future. And after that, they're deplorable with each other. They're adorable with each other. <laughs> There's just a couple of scenes on Wednesday. Paul and Billy are in Roy's roles, and Sean wanders in, and Paul wonders how the date went. Billy asks, and it turns out it was non-existent, something that Sean blames squarely on Paul thanks to that message that we don't know anything about. Later, Paul and Billy arrange to meet at Speeddal, just the two of them. And Paul, uh-huh. and Paul turns up to meet them, but uh, he's disappointed to see that Sean's there and so is Summer. Seemingly, someone invited Sean along and they're all going off to a some festival of summer or something and wasn't paying attention. Summer lights. Privately, Paul tells Billy how he feels about this. Billy thinks it's about high time the two of them buried a hatchet that they'd only just dug up on Monday. Right. And Sean is helping Summer memorize the capitals... Of states in the United States of America. Yeah, she gets a couple of tricky ones. Yeah. Nebraska. Lincoln. I can't remember which other one she did. Uh, was New Mexico one? Albuquerque. Kansas. Kansas wasn't one either, I don't think. No, no, I was just trying to quiz you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite good with state capitals usually, but Kansas, no. Is it Kansas? Kansas City's in Missouri. That's in both, isn't it? Topeka, isn't it? That sounds a bit right. Anyway. Keep talking. On Friday. So on Friday morning, Sean is getting home on the tram when he spies at Paul and some guy uh, that we don't know is acting dodgy in the community garden. Topeka is correct. But not like that. 
he witnesses Paul handing over a shitload of small change and small denomination notes. What on earth could that be about, Helen? Hmm. I thought it was drugs. I thought so too. Then Moira comes into the rovers and announces to Billy and Sean that someone has stolen the collection box at the medical centre for the homeless charity. And Sean, in particular, is absolutely shocked by this and spends a good few moments on inner reflection as he wonders whatever happened to Carol. <laughs> Except he doesn't. He immediately wonders who could be so low to steal that and even before he knows it, we know that he's suspecting Paul and that dodgy bloke from earlier. Correct. Then Paul is in uh, Roy's Rolls with Billy and gifts him a swanky pair of Bluetooth headphones. And Ooh. Billy says Bluetooth about a million times. Ooh. Seemingly that shareholder thing from the factory that we haven't spoken about yet, but we will speak about, Ooh. has already paid off. And uh, Paul is flush for the time being. Ooh. Paul, le- <laughs> Paul leaves and then comes Sean. Roy announces that he doesn't trust anything without cables. And Billy gives Sean way too much detail about his fancy new Bluetooth headphones and now Sean is really suspicious of Paul robbing that collection. Later, Sean suspiciously watches Paul paying for his pint with loose change and then confronts him. Paul denies all knowledge of the thievery and says that the only thing dodgy is Sean's stinking attitude. Hmm. Later, Sean is chatting with Moira, Evelyn, Kate and Tim about the missing money and Sean reveals that Paul seems to have come into a bit of cash himself and reckons that maybe he was the one what lifted it. And now Moira remembers that Paul was in early for a checkup and was loitering outside, so that's enough for her. And Moira also mentions that some hair extensions have gone missing. Some of Lizzie's hair extensions, yeah. From the hospital. Ew. How? How... Did, did somebody yank them from Liz's head? <laughs> did she have loose hair extensions in the hospital? That doesn't make any sense. What? I think Moira did it. I think that's why she's talking about it so much. And she's and she's acting like she's she has PTSD from just oh God, remembering she, she was triggered by it. where the box was and everything. And and everybody rolls her oh, eyes. Oh, she's oh, in such a sake. dark place because of it. And it's just like, ugh. But she's funny. And she takes is a little she? sip of her when she's... It's getting better. Takes another little sip. Yeah, it's getting better. That is made me, she? That made me chuckle. Is she really funny? Yeah, I think so. Moira's on the blower to the cops sure. and passes on Sean's information, who now looks like he wishes he'd kept his mouth shut. Paul meets Billy in Speedal, and Billy's still wearing his fans' new headphones, listening to All Things Bright and Beautiful. Yes. Then the police come in looking for Paul and he's asked to answer a few questions about the stolen money. And this interview takes place at Speed Dial, because of course it does. Yes. Paul says that he won it on the fruit machines, which is why he had so much shrapnel in his pocket. He gives the name and, and address. he didn't want to tell Billy the truth about that. Because gambling. Gambling. He gives the name and address of the guy he was with, somebody called Marley. We'll find out why he's called Marley a little later. And that was he was with him when he made because his money. He used to be in in a business with um, Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's see, shall we? <laughs> so the police seem oddly happy at this, and that's enough for them. And they get up and just leave. They don't they don't say this is done. They don't say this is come to the we've come to the conclusion of this interview or anything. And Helen continues to laugh. Uh, our own terrible joke. <laughs> Paul David Tennant plays Scrooge McDuck now in DuckTales. Did you know that? No. You Paul... should have gotten that gig. Yeah. Paul <laughs> is super pissed and uh, knows exactly who has accused them. 
Whoa. Paul barges into the rovers to accuse Sean of dobbing him in, which Moira backs up. Paul accuses Sean of being jealous of him and Billy and being too pathetic to get a cock of his own. <gasps> Paul tells him, you're going to get yours. And does that scrunchy up face thing. Yeah, and Sean says, it wasn't me, it was Moira. Who it was. But Moira says, I only told him what you told me. Right. Which is right. Yes. It's Sean's fault. Marley meets Paul in Roy's roles. Stuff happens that I don't fully understand, but it involves weed, and that's why he's called Marley. Paul blames Sean, who's a nothing nobody who works at the pub. He says that he'll make it up to him. Whatever. I'm still not quite sure what happened there. Well, he's he's mad. He's mad that Paul gave the coppers his name and address because he was... I think he had weed on him at the time. He, so he was, was growing afraid. more than personal use, I think. Yes. What What is the status of marijuana in the UK now? I think it's still illegal. But there's a thin line between what's possession and what's uh, dealing. To sell? Dealing, yeah. yeah. All right, so it's not legal even for medical use yet over there. Yeah, not the best person to ask about that. Maybe we could do that in a future episode of our Common Language podcast. Mm. In which case I won't contribute very much to that conversation at all. So that's the end of that story, is it? No, it's not the end of that story at all. No, because Sean it's is not. on his phone as he walks in the street. Sean. And he's jumped by a mysterious figure who calls him down into the alley and uh Rattling his chains <laughs> and turning into a door knocker in the shape of Goofy. A very specific reference. Right, yes, to Mickey's Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. Yes. And he's decked by a hooded figure, the ghost of the 4th of July president, or whoever. Jacob Marley. And then he runs off. Probably. And that's it. So who was that? Well, that was Marley, I guess. Probably, yeah. It uh, wasn't, I mean, if it was Paul, we would have recognised the voice. But Sean's going to think it was Paul. Paul. And this little feud thing that we've just it's manufactured just for a couple of days. Oh, up out of proportion. Yes, it Did is. you think that they were like, oh, it's, it's close to pride, we should give the gays... A storyline? Is that what's happening here? Sure. Because <laughs> it's not a very good one. Our next storyline tonight is one of the main ones. Oh, on the assumption that you have nothing else to say about the Sean and Paul thing. Uh, no, I'm all out of uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol references. Thank goodness. Next storyline, Carol's back, y'all. Woohoo! On Monday, Sarah and Adam were chatting about how much of an amazing job Sarah's been doing when she can be bothered to turn up at the factory. Yeah. And how the knicker people respect her because she saved their jobs in that. Then Adam drops a bombshell. Hold on a sec. Carl's going to be coming back tomorrow. <gasps> and Sarah shits her brakes. The knicker people have been assembled and summoned the gods of speculation to determine why. <laughs> Beth doesn't think it's a raise and Sean has a hole he needs to get to, so we just need to hurry up here. Yes, please. Then Sarah comes along and tells him that Carla will be returning tomorrow and it might mean a bunch of changes, but she's a co-owner and so her word usurps the ancient laws of the knicker people. Aw. The knicker people do not think this was a brilliant use of their time. No. Then Beth and Izzy are gossiping in the rovers about Carla's return. Kate, who we haven't seen in weeks, is clearing up glasses and says that Carla's suffered enough and until the police say otherwise, any speculation isn't welcome here. And Beth makes that face. Yes, she does. She makes that face a lot Quite this week. Quite a bit. 
Then on Wednesday, it's 10am and Peter, Carla and Simon arrive back on the street in a lovely red 2019 Reg SUV that, let's be generous, might be a rental. No, it is a, it's definitely a rental because Carla says to Peter, oh, you got to return the rental. Oh, does she? She very specifically says that. Oh, thank goodness. Sarah remarks that Carla has been asleep the entire trip, which she puts down to her medication. Simon goes off to find Leanne, and we don't see him again. Nope. And Peter mentions... That <laughs> he just completely disappears into the ether. <laughs> Peter mentions that they don't need to do this. They can go wherever she wants now that Simon's got out of the car. <laughs> <laughs> but Carla thinks that they do need to stay, so they start to unpack, and Carla bumps into an awkward Tyrone who is happy to see her. But not like that. No. Roy, though, is absolutely thrilled to have Carla back, and she is glad to be back. Peter slags off poor Tyrone for saying that she looks like she had a she had a good break, which, you know, how else is he going to word that? Yeah. Yeah, he's not going to say, oh, it looks like being sectioned worked well for you. Yeah, how would you stay in the funny yeah. part? Yeah. Are you still mentally ill? Yikes. Chicken? Why did they make a chicken noise there? <laughs> Don't Chicken know. doesn't mean Looney Tunes, does it? I no. I don't think so. It means you're a coward. Coward. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing there. Anyway. You just wanted to balk like a chicken. So Maybe Peter, you think you are a chicken, which would make you mentally ill. Peter, it seems, still sore about Tyrone's reaction that you just talked about. Carla goes off to have a shower and bites Roy's and Peter's heads off when they remind her that people will be coming around soon to see her. Yeah, she's like, it's a quick shower. Shut the fuck up. I'd just like to be able to shave my pits without being watched for once. <laughs> Thank you very much. Michelle well done, is, Carla. Then Michelle is around to see Carla and Peter tells her that Scott is coming around later to check on her to see how she's doing. Scott's our therapist guy. Right, and everybody's shocked. Why would he need to come around still? <laughs> because apparently mental illness just fixes itself off camera for a number of weeks. And we don't get to see any of it. I think they do a decent enough <sighs> job to say that this has been carefully part of a process. Right, yeah, but the fact that there but are people on, the, pay attention to that. people on the street are like, oh, why on earth would she still need this? It's like, this is how this works. Yeah, because Michelle thought that Carla would be back to normal by now. What? Pierre says that she's better than she was, which I guess she is. Yeah, she is. She's, she's speaking coherently. She's not afraid of listening devices no, and she's, she's not trying to dig something out of her ear anymore she stopped stealing people's phones she's so, wearing shoes yeah it's all for the good so then scott's arrived and carla's going through her regiment of medication blood pressure two types of uh, immunosuppressants and one batch of antipsychosis that makes her feel that her head's full of cotton wool the good news is she isn't feeling any side effects scott says he's going to check in daily he's here for all of them not just for carla Michelle makes her excuses as Scott leaves and Carla encourages Peter to go to an AA meeting. Just a thing to get him out from under her feet. Yes, and also he really should go to an AA meeting now that he's back. Then Peter's round at Leanne's worried about Carla but proud at how Simon dealt with the situation. He's worried that she might slip again and that she has no safety net. Leanne says that Peter is her safety net and a lovely one at that. Then in comes Nick and Peter warns him away from Carla for the time being. And Carla is back at the factory slash community centre. Sean and Sally back her up, but Beth is far more difficult to handle. Beth's pretty much a counter. Absolutely. Carla has something that the knicker people are going to want to hear. Meanwhile, Peter is back at Roy's, who seems to have had a snooze, and Carla has snuck out while he's been asleep. Uh-oh. And Peter has to rush off to find her. Which he really doesn't. The knicker people are thrilled by whatever news Carla has given them, even Beth. Peter turns up and Carla explains 
what's just happened? She's giving up her share in the factory and she's giving it to the knicker people. To the knicker people. And some kind of sacrifice, I think. Well done, knicker people. <laughs> you have come out in the end. Peter. Although, although those shares are going to be tiny split. 20 ways. Yeah. Peter. Even, I would assume that even the non speaking knicker people will get a share. Hello to Dirk. <laughs> <laughs> Even Dirk now has a share in the factory slash community centre. Good for him. Maybe he'll get a line now. Peter is furious. He tells Carla that she's not thinking straight, but this is the clearest thought that she's had for a while. Beth continues to be a total cow, telling Carla that this is her guilt talking following Rana's death. Carla accepts this and accepts her responsibility for this. And she says that she's going to get this paperwork drawn up pronto. Peter tells the knicker people that she's not committed to anything, but Carl insists that she is. Yeah, so go fuck yourself, Peter. Back at the flat, I still furious Peter is getting Roy on side regarding the factory deal. Carl insists this isn't for the money, it's for the peace of mind. And Roy thinks maybe it's a decision made in haste, but she insists not, and then gets torn into Peter for undermining her every decision. Absolutely. He, he thinks she should run this by her psychiatrist, and Carla tells him to go fuck himself. Absolutely. I'm not an imbecile, she says. Correct. Then Michelle is next in line to give Carla a hard time about the factory. Couldn't she give them better Christmas bonuses? Then Carla gets a call from the police and they ask her to come down to the station tomorrow to talk about the roof. And she says, okay. This was always on the car, says Michelle, and Carla contemplates that she's going to have to put her life on hold for now. Correct. Then in the pub, Beth and Izzy are winding Peter up about the factory deal. (laughs) That's superb. He tells them that they're taking advantage of a vulnerable woman and he's going to be applying for power of attorney and when he gets it, the knicker people won't be getting anywhere near the factory shares. The gall of this fucking asshole <laughs> thinking that he's going to get power, that anybody is going to give him power of attorney when they're only just now starting to date. He has no legal connection to Carla. She has living family who could get power of attorney the courts are gonna laugh his ass out of court what is going on with this whole power of attorney thing this makes me think peter's kind of dodgy here well i've been thinking peter's dodging this for months and it looked like he wasn't but maybe he is it feels like a kind of a dodgy move thinking that he's gonna go for power of attorney because i'm assuming that he hasn't run this it doesn't seem like he's run it past roy he hasn't run it past johnny no, he's been completely wound up by the knicker people. Right. Yeah. So that's the only reason why he's let anybody know that he was thinking about power of attorney. Right, because he wasn't until now. Until he got wound or up. Or was he? Or was he? he? And of course, Carla wanders in and hears all of this. Power of attorney, she says. And Peter, you utter wank pocket. She storms off, leaving the drunken knicker people to mock Peter further, which they do. Correct. And again... It was hilarious. It was hilarious. And it was completely founded. So Peter goes home to face the music. Fuck you and fuck your apology, says Carla. You humiliated me. He tells her that the knicker people are behaving like they won the lottery, but she points out that she's the winner here. She has peace of mind and she has her sanity back. He tells her that she built that factory up and can't throw it all away, but all that factory means to her is Rana is dead, Aiden is dead, it put Peter back in the sauce and it costs her her mind. She's good with not having that factory. Absolutely. And there's a fairly lengthy scene as Carla describes how she felt when she was at her lowest ebb and how the paranoia was real and how she felt like she was really hugging Aiden on that uh, 
stairwell when it was actually Peter. Mm-hmm. And he says that they weren't sure they were going to ever get her back. But it turns out that meds, time, and the love of a recovering alcoholic can do the trick. <sighs> she tells him again how she gets no joy from the factory and the sick that Beth and the others rightfully hate her. Peter observes that 200 years ago, the knicker people would have been at the public executions with their knitting. <laughs> Which, and now I'm kind of picturing, I'm kind of picturing uh, the knicker people as minions. No. Oh yeah, a little bit. No, I'm thinking banana. I'm, banana. I'm thinking pics. I'm thinking Beth is Boudica. He wants her to take her time. <laughs> this recovery is a process, but for Carla, another part of that process is getting the factory to fuck. And finally, Peter agrees to stand by her. Yeah. And this decision. Yeah, and he doesn't make any face when he hugs her, so we're led to believe that he actually means this. Hmm. On Friday, Nick corners Carla in Roy's roles. Carla can't sell her shares without giving Nick first. Refusal, he says, although fuck knows where he would be getting the money to buy her out. Carla isn't selling the shares, though. She's gifting them. And this forces, this forces Nick... And she's to- already looked into it, and she's... Yeah, she wouldn't have put this into play if she hadn't looked into it first and made sure that it was legal. So go fuck yourself, Nick, who only finds out about this because Beth can't keep her mouth shut. Yep. And we learn that this deal has apparently gone through. Those shares have been distributed now. And this forces Nick to attack Sarah, who always wanted them out. Sarah's having none of it and says he's doing a pretty bang-up job of that himself. It's up to Gail to try and calm Nick by plying him with coffee and taking a wee seat. You need coffee now. So then Alia, it seems, is good to her word and has moved in with Toya and Imran and Craig. So she's out of Yasmin's. Yes. Yasmin says that she can move back whenever she likes. And then they're interrupted by a loud customer who wants to speak with the manager, thank you very much. And it turns out that the angry customer is a charity bigwig who has been let down by a caterer and he loves Speed Dal's food so much that he offers him the gig to cater some big flash meeting he's having. Alia Mm. worries that they're too small, but he insists that there's a lot of money in it for them and Mm. he leaves them to think about it. But then Tim's dad gets wind of this catering event and he thinks it sounds fine, but that Yasmin is too old to get involved in stuff like this. Go fuck yourself, Tim's dad. <laughs> You're running away of people to tell to go fuck themselves. Tim's this dad. <laughs> what is it? What is it? Leave it to Alia. And this gives Yasmin pause. I feel like he's doing this not only to make Yasmin once again feel bad about herself, but also to set... Alia up for a fall. I think he has absolutely no faith that Alia can do this on her own. No, I don't think so either. And he's trying to show her up. So Carla comes into the rovers to speak with Kate. Uh, this is the first time that they've faced each other since she left and she knows that she doesn't deserve forgiveness but she has to try and Kate leads them through the back. And through the back Kate tells Carla that she's okay. Carla says that she wishes that she'd taken better heed of Gary's advice and fixed that roof. She's so sorry. Kate has hated Carla, she still wants to hate her, but they hug and it seems to be better or something. Well, that's good. Meanwhile, Alia is excited by the requirements of the catering event until Yasmin takes a win from her sales. She says that she's still recovering from the mugging and the burglary, so she's out and she gives Alia every encouragement to crack on herself. And Alia's like, what changed? Hmm. I wonder. Yasmin makes, you know, some phony, baloney excuses. Then Peter turns up at the bistro, and you just know he's going to get his neb in somewhere. Oy. And he's nagging Michelle to give Carla any old job. It doesn't need to be a real job, just something to keep her distracted. What? Because there's loads of those jobs going about. You know those not real jobs? Right. Those distraction jobs. 
And also, Peter, haven't you learned not to stick your nose in where it's not wanted and try to micromanage Carla's life, which really annoys her? Yep. What? Learns nothing. No. Michelle can't think of anything, but uh, not even a job that she does at the bistro. Yeah, because they are full up. And Peter asks her to keep thinking. Plus, he's booked a table for later. Then Alia drops into the bistro. She's swamped with this catering thing and asks for Ryan's help. He agrees and then drafts Michelle in on it. Alia explains that it's a good job and it might lead to more work, which Michelle interprets as an offer to go into business with Alia. No chances, Michelle. Not after all that nonsense with Carla. And Alia leaves and then Ryan gives his mum a hard time for not being forgiven and forgetting and all that. Right, because nobody is perfect on the street. But... Michelle seems to be reading a huge amount into this that was never an offer. It's mm. Alia's needing some help with this one catering job. Mm. There might be something else that will come from it. Yeah. But at the moment, there's just this one job. And Michelle taking this to mean, oh, you want to go into business together? Well, no, I just want help with this one thing. Right, yeah. But, you know, Alia does say this might lead to something else. Yeah, it might. And it right. might not. Right. There's no good into business here. This is just no. help me out this one time and then we'll see. Right. Then Alia comes back to the bistro, it turns out that Michelle asked her round. In comes Carla and Peter, and Alia apologises and Carla accepts. Michelle joins Carla and Peter at the table and explains about Alia's proposal, which wasn't really a proposal. Mm -hmm. Well, with Michelle helping out in jobs that no one asked her to do, someone really needs to look after the bistro while she does that. So why doesn't Carla do it? And reluctantly, Carla agrees. And Carla also says some very nice things about Alia. You know, how Alia has a good business head on her shoulders and a smart girl and, and right. everything else, which was nice. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish you would say that to Alia. Yeah. So then Michelle tells Alia that she's in. And Alia's happy. And Carla is now happy. looking after the bistro. Occasionally. Because she's good at that, I guess. Well, she's she's got a good business head on her shoulders. Because she, she ran the factory into the ground so much they couldn't afford <sighs> to replace a roof. She's also helped out at the rovers. I think she's helped out at the bistro before as well. So we'll see. Hmm. Do you think Carla's going to be the one who finds out that Robert put a baby in Irish Tina? <laughs> no. I think you're right with Alia on that. Yeah. So that's where we go with that. So Alia has her big fancy catering Kitty. job. Yeah. Yeah, good for her. Yeah, it's absolutely good for her. I'm really happy about this development because I think Alia has been underused and she's smart. She's bright. She is deserving of more. I'm still a little bummed by how she was bum rushed out of the factory to begin with because I think she was doing a good job there. Yeah, she was kind of guilted out of that because yeah. of the whole Aiden thing, wasn't it? Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Just imagine. Just imagine how different things would be right now. If Alia had still been running the factory when they found out that the roof was dodgy. She'd have probably fixed that roof. Yeah, she would have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Somehow she'd have just done it. And Nick wouldn't be in partnership with her. Nick would have no partnership in the factory. Because Peter d- would have had no partnership in the factory to sell to Nick. Because Carla needed money, so she conned Peter into coming back in. Right? The whole factory was... Carla's. Alia's. Was Alia's. Was it the whole factory? Yeah. No, no, no. Aiden, yeah, because Aiden's Aiden share, share 
and and Carla had given Aiden her share. Her share, so Aiden owned the whole thing. So how the hell did Peter get involved in this again? Carla roped him in once she got it back. Peter sold out to Nick. I remember that. Yeah, and then Peter sold out to Nick just to get under Carla's skin. Mm-hmm. And plus, they hated Peter was, one another. Uh, Peter wanted away from Carla at that point, right? Yeah. Because hmm. Carla couldn't tell Peter that she loved him. Even though Johnny, even though Peter had told Johnny and Johnny had told Carla. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, so much water's gone under the bridge this oh, year in that a, fucking factory. It's <laughs> a good thing that the roof came down, to be honest. Yeah. Well, we'll see for that. And one now the up. Knicker people own half of it. I like that. I like the kind of. Yeah. Cooperative yeah. sort of feel to it. The workers own the means for production, which again sounds very Karl Marx, but there you go. What, yeah. what you're going to do? Do you think they'll run it into the ground? Absolutely. Even more than it already is. Because well, Beth's already, already taking Beth seems time to off. think that because she owns a share in the factory, she doesn't have to work in the factory. She could sit on a bench and eat crisps and say rude things to Nick. Yep. Yeah, notice Pinya you do that, Beth. Notice how I said crisps. Oh, yes, well done. I said crisps, crisps today at the pub. Did you? Yeah. And everybody thought you were so adorable and charming. Nobody had a clue what I was talking about. But they did think you were charming and adorable. Because of those crisps. They were quite good crisps. You're all right. Our penultimate storyline for tonight is Steve and Tiny. <laughs> just a few scenes here on Friday. Steve approaches Beth on the bench that you were just talking about. Right. He's hoping to get some tips from her about taking photographs of animals, but they haven't done that yet in a photography class. That's next week. And they're interrupted by Liz, who's wearing purple trousers and who's quite unreasonably... You are very generous in calling those trousers. What are they? They're spandex leggings. <laughs> are they really? I don't know how to describe them. I just know they were purple and shiny. And tight. Yeah. <laughs> she quite unreasonably accuses Steve of chatting up any old bent on the street rather than get his license back, which seems completely Which is weird. And then Beth <laughs> freaks out, thinks that Steve wants her. Yeah, she says, whatever you and I had, it's in the past now. And if Kirky gets wind of this, he'll fuck you up, Steve. Make no mistake of that. And like, which Kirk wouldn't do. What? It must have had something in the past because Steve has done everybody on that street except for his mother and sister. No, he doesn't have a sister. His no. sister died as a baby, which is why he hasn't done it. Right. Jeez. Oh, he so, didn't even try to do his fake sister. Steve sees Tim and offers to go check on Tiny for him later. He's really connected with the beast. And Tim says, yeah, no, that's what I was saying. Tim thinks this is a great idea. And then we see that Steve has been hiding a paper unicorn horn behind his back. <laughs> Michael shows up at the Rovers to see Steve's unicorn It's work. nice to finally see one of the Baileys around. This is the only Hello? time this week. Yeah, where have they been? I want to see more Baileys, not less Baileys. Have you run out of storylines already? I want more Baileys. More Baileys. And I'm not talking about the alcohol. Okay. I'm talking about the family. Yeah, he, he's about to show up when uh, Tim turns up and Michael already realises that Tim isn't interested in this unicorn business. After a brief conversation with Tim, Steve and Michael come to an arrangement where Michael will help Steve with the social media side of the business and soon they'll be the biggest fake unicorn service in the whole of the North West. And that's the end of that this week. So don't care about this unicorn business. Oh, it's going to be adorable seeing Tiny dressed up like a unicorn. Tim's not going to be happy. No. Do you think this is the thing that's going to finally break their relationship? 
Uh, probably not. No. So what's the point of it? You'd think Tim, who once upon a time was Steve, wrapped himself up in packing tape and pretended to be a Tyrannosaurus Rex, would be okay with strapping a horn on a horse. He's not happy about how that demeans Tiny. Only it doesn't demean Tiny. It, It builds Tiny up to be this miraculous beast that little wee girls love at their parties. And then shit all over the lawn. Fertilizer, it's good for it. I guess. Yeah, nothing much more to say about that. Our final story tonight is the Nick and the David stuff. (sighs) On Monday, Paula and Nick are walking and are talking like it's been written by Aaron Sorkin. Mm. Nick's a dick. She's telling him to face facts that not a lot of people are on his side and there's no character witnesses and he's alienating everyone. He needs friends, not enemies. But it seems a little bit late in the day for this. Yeah, Nick's not very good at making people like him. No. Nick sees Audrey at Roy's roles and she does her best to ignore him. This is breach of his bail conditions. He apologises, but she's not buying it. Either GTF or she'll report him to the cops. Then in comes Paula, who thinks this this was beyond stupid. And then along comes Paula. Then Nick's back home with flowers for Leanne's birthday. He tells her about his run-in with Audrey and Leanne thinks that she'll come round. And she bases this on absolutely nothing at all. Right, yeah, no, she's just trying to be positive. He's got a charm bracelet for her that has something that Leanne mistakes for his bobby. It's a lighthouse. But it's actually a lighthouse because she's a light in the darkness, he says. Sinking on his feet a little bit there. Ugh. Leanne suggests inviting Gail and Audrey round for a birthday tea. Apparently he specially made. Do you think it was a Lynx of London? bracelet no like mine no then uh, nick can sling his hook and she schmoozes him away for his own benefit <laughs> nick is round at number eight to let gail know about leanne's birthday tea she was supposed to be wedding planning with shona she says and nick is upset by this until gail changes her plans and confirms that she and audrey will pop round later to see leanne yeah it <laughs> Nick seems to think that they should have the same sort of relationship with Leanne that they have with Shona mm. when Nick and Leanne haven't been back together as long as Shona and David have. Shona has been through all of this stuff with the family. Shona lives there. Shona lives there. <laughs> Shona is nicer. I like Leanne, but she's not a nice person. She's certainly not a nice person this week. No. Leanne is preparing for her birthday tea. Nick wants her to remember to tell them how sorry he is. Yes, 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 says Leanne, and she ushers him out again. Mm-hmm. Then Audrey's complaining to Gail about having to go around to fucking Leanne's. <laughs> she thinks this smells of Nick's idea. Yep. Then Audrey seems to take a little funny turn and she needs to take a seat. Poor Audrey. Leanne is wearing a lovely yellow dress. Is that, it? That shows off her heart surgery scar quite nicely. Does it? No. <laughs> Remember her heart surgery that she had? Yeah, well, that's covered by the dress. Well, the dress goes down to about... Here betwixt the boobs. Where's your heart? <laughs> you could <jump. laughs> No, but it, it just because her heart's her heart's not in the center of her boobs either. It's over here to the side. Yeah, which was exposed by that uh, dress. There should have been something. Yeah, but there. Uh, why are you still pointing down in your t- because your typi- belly? Because you don't typically go in necessarily right where the organ that you're doing surgery on is. I mean, remember. When I just had that exploratory surgery of my ovaries, the the incisions were up here and up here. And why and was my that? my ovaries are not up here. And why was that? Because I have a huge amount of mesh Bingo. keeping my <laughs> organs in. Bingo. Still. Still means 
I've run out of argument. I still don't want to agree with you. So anyway. You're right. They should have at least tried to put a scar there. Because she was so... But then again, remember... she was so self-conscious about it. That's true. She was. That's the only reason I mentioned it. forgot all about it. Anyway, in comes Nick and he's furious to discover that Gail and Audrey were no-shows. How dare they be so petty, he says. Don't they realise that I need to get them on side before this trial thing? And off he storms to give them a piece of his mind. And he bursts into number eight, demanding to know where David has hidden Gail and Audrey. (laughs) Yeah, because of course this is all David's fault. Leanne follows him in and tempers flare and Nick attacks David a wee bit. He does. Smashes him against the wall. In comes Gail and Nick is livid. How dare they stand up Leanne? Gail explains that Audrey had an angina attack and that kind of pissed all over their plans for attending the birthday tea. So go fuck yourself, Nick. And that shuts Nick up. It's not all about you. Back home, Leanne wonders what the fuck that was all about. She barely recognised Nick there. And he takes an introspective moment to explain how the pressure in his brain builds up and that he's made a procession of bad decisions since he had that accident. Except Mm. it wasn't an accident. David tried to kill him and people always seem to forget that. So how did David try to kill him again? uh, By deliberately crashing the car in the oncoming traffic. Because Nick was sleeping with his wife. Yeah, and David found out about it. And David essentially tried to kill the two of them. But uh, Nick's injuries were far worse than David's were. But David was also injured. Yeah. Lightly, I think. Mm. Somebody posted on Twitter the, uh, the thing where Peter and Nick got into a fight and Peter knocked a garden gnome over. Right. <laughs> Nick's head, which is going to be the most British fight ever. <laughs> so people keep forgetting uh. that David tried to kill him. People look at Nick and say, good old Nick, always laughing and joking. Do they? Nobody no, says that. Literally, no one says that. Because he's never laughing and he's never joking and everybody thinks he's an asshole. And they thought that even before <laughs> the roof collapsed. But inside he's such a mess. And uh, he just has learned to handle it better and take a step back when uh, the Nick rage builds. Has he? Mm. Leanne is sorry to hear all this, but maybe it could be used to their advantage. The injury made him do stupid things. Who in their right mind would steal from their own gran? Not him, because he wasn't in his right mind. He was vulnerable. And David exploited that, says Leanne. Which is not true, because David had no idea when David when Nick was stealing the money. No. On Wednesday, <clears throat> David and Shona around at Imran's discussing the case. Paula sent through the court papers and Imran calls through Leanne to take the morning off as there's information here that she shouldn't be privy to. Which was smart. Yeah, for once. Imran reads over the documents and <laughs> spells it out to David. Nick is claiming that David caused uh, that brain injury when he tried to kill him a few years ago and that injury has left him open to ma- manipulation. David's manipulation to steal money from Audrey. David quite rightly points out that this doesn't make sense, but Imran says this is a big blow to their case. Mm -hmm. So David runs into Nick at Roy's Rolls and tries to get him to withdraw this nonsense about the brain injury. They dealt with this years ago, but Nick says he has Leanne and some kids that he can't be bothered to name, and he has them to think about, so all bets are off. Forgetting that David also has children. and He's not caring about that. He's not caring about that at all. He only cares about himself. Right. Which is not true of David. At least. The one thing David has in his pocket is that he genuinely cares about other people. Which is why Audrey has the barbers. Correct. Back at the barbers, David explains to Imran that Nick was likely the person who brought down the factory roof. That it would be easier for him in the long run if the place had burnt down. He'd said that. And he'd also said to Natalie that he was expecting a windfall. 
Nick sabotaged that factory for the insurance money, says David. And Imran looks like all his Christmases have come at once. Correct. So Imran turns up with Shona and Toya Roy's roles. He's been cut to the bone by David's re- uh, revelation. Shona thinks David must be sitting on this for months now. But <clears throat> Nick says that it was all kind of sibling stuff until Nick threw David under the bus for the brain injury stuff. Mm-hmm. All bets are off now. Correct. Then Toya rather weirdly turns up at Imran's at the uh, law office with a host of dining utensils. She's just defrosted a veggie lasagna, and she thinks it's weird that David has just suddenly remembered that Nick is to blame for the roof. The brain injury stuff was real, she says. Toya thinks that David is lying. That's a big statement, says Imran. Well, buckle up, buckaroo, because here comes another one, says Toya, and she tells Imran that she thinks that he knows that David is lying too. Imran says that he always had a feeling that Nick was involved, but Toya reminds him of his forensic eye for facts. Hmm. He deals in truths. Right, and this is not necessarily a truth. It's just something that that he's always believed. Then David, perhaps ill-advisedly, goes round to Nick's and basically lays out his plan to to blame Nick for the roof, which Nick will be able to put down to his vulnerable condition thanks to his brain injury. That's a bit of an own goal there, suggests David. And Nick can't believe that David will allow him to go down for something that he didn't do. Uh, hello, says David, that's precisely what you're doing. Right. Nick tells David that he needs evidence, and David says, well, there's plenty where that came from, and thanks him again for flagging the brain injury stuff. So David is home from walking David, and then feeds David on the floor. Shona knows that he's lying about Nick in the factory. Come on, David says. Come on, David, she says. You're better than this. Well, actually, it turns out that I'm not, says David. If Nick can lie in court, so can he, and he'll do anything to stay out of prison rather than doing a stretch with his head held high. Right, he's trying to, you know, he goes and tells Nick about it and everything because he's trying to get Nick to back down, and once Nick backs down, he'll back down. Right. Sort of thing. Nick has always valued his own freedom over David's. Well, two can play that game. Fair enough, says Shona, but she wants nothing to do with it. Then on Friday, Sarah is up with a lark, and she's been wearing lots of short leather skirts these days. <laughs> Her whole world has been shook. Oh, have you been noticing this broom? It's rather impossible not to notice. Hmm. The shininess of Sarah's very short skirts. Her eyes are up here, broom. (laughs) Her whole world has been shook now that Carla has given her shares in the factory to the Knicker people. David wonders what Nick feels about this, but Sarah doesn't reckon that Nick has any idea. Meanwhile, David has been dinging calls from Imran in the hope that Shona forgives him, but he didn't worry, because she doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> then Nick and Paul are conducting legal business in Devs, when in comes Beth, who takes great glee in announcing that the Knicker people now own Carla's half of the factory. Nick doesn't think that Carla can do that. Tough titty, says Beth, because she already did it. Right, and which we've already sort yeah. of talked about. And that probably should have been another story. One thing that we forgot to mention is the fact that when uh, when Nick is confronting Carla, he's basically giving her the same snide comments that he gave to David when David gave Audrey the um the barbers like oh you're just you're just doing this oh aren't you saintly aren't you the you know the bee's knees for doing this aren't you wonderful for doing this isn't this gonna assuage your guilt blah 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 it's the same exact thing you know at which just goes to show that it's impossible for Nick to think of anybody but himself. Right. Because it blows his mind when these two people sacrificially give back to other people that they've harmed. Right. 
in this way. He can't believe it. He's he's incapable of believing that people can do nice things like this. He kind of reminds me of a certain politician who seems to think that we won the Revolutionary War with airplanes. Anyway, Nick and Gail have a <laughs> chat, and Nick is feeling pretty sorry for himself. The whole world is against him, he says. Audrey's team David. His siblings think that he's the devil incarnate. And then Audrey comes in, and Nick excuses himself. Audrey tells Gail that if she was in the Bible, she'd be Team Judas. Gail thinks that they need to talk about this. She has a knot in her chest that's getting tighter every day, and Audrey wonders if it's that new Garshik band that she had fitted. And then she says that Gail doesn't have a monopoly on being let down. No, says Gail, which is why she wants to fix it. (laughs) Right. And and to hell with bail conditions. To hell with them. And it's kind of rich that Gail's talking about a binding in her chest when it's Audrey who just had a heart attack. Well, a giant attack. Yeah. Just two days ago. I think yesterday. Yeah, Yeah, yesterday. Although, to be fair, Audrey has a lot of nerve about the whole, you know, Judas thing when these are these are still Gail's sons, so she's still going to have a relationship with them. And it's rather unfair of Audrey to expect Gail to choose one side or the other. Right. And I so I can kind of understand how Gail feels. Back at home, David comes down the stairs to find that the whole family almost is there. He's shocked because he can't be in the same room as Audrey. It's against his bail conditions. Yes, we get that. Then Nick and Leanne arrive and David is now very keen to leave. But Gail's not having it. They're all going to have their say. They're all going to listen. Two brothers are ready to throw each other under the bus and this must be sorted. But the meeting, it does not go well. Audrey announces that she's disappointed in Nick. Nick blames David. David points out that Nick stole the 80 grand in the first place. Leanne wants to do something less stressful like a triathlon. David congratulates her on being super funny. And people are about to storm out when Gail shouts that no one can speak unless they're holding her lady. A big old porcelain ornament of a fancy lady. Sit the fuck down, she says. Yes, she's not speaking of her lady bits. And the lady thing doesn't really help matters, though. People continue (laughs) to talk over each other. David calls Nick a meth, whatever that is. And despite Gail trying to calm things down, Nick and David fight over the lady, which eventually flies out of their hands and scuds into the back of Audrey's head, briefly knocking her to the ground. Or a stunt double or mannequin or something. Right. Splendid stuff. Yes. So while Sarah is dealing with the bleeding on the back of Audrey's head, they phone the ambulance who take a look at her and ask how it happened. Audrey wants Nick to take responsibility, but Nick is only interested in blaming David. Did the police arrive? Because it seems that the ambulance dispatch heard loud, loud voices and informed the police, which seems a little unlikely. David Not insists really. that there's nothing to see here and tells them that they're wasting their time. The police are about to leave when one of them gets a message on his walkie-talkie and all of a sudden, Nick and David are arrested for breaching their bail conditions. Right, and Audrey calls them both toe rags, which was <laughs> hilarious. So Imran visits David in the cells. He wishes that he'd left Gail's intervention and Imran is chuffed to bits, enjoying watching Nick suffer and he reckons David will be home by tea time, at which point a policeman comes to the cell for him, thus interrupting an attorney-client meeting. Mm-hmm. Then Gail's at the hospital but really wants to be at the police station for the boys paid for by uh, Audrey's money. <clears throat> Does that make no. sense? No, 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 no. Their lawyers are paid for by Audrey's money. Well, they're paid for says. by... The money that Lewis gave back to Gail after she had stolen it. But I thought Imran was doing this pro bono. So why is Gail paying Imran who's doing this pro bono? Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. Did the show forget that Imran was doing this pro bono? 
Now, Gail gets a call from Shona, who isn't at the police station. Gail will be there as soon as she can because she's back Gail all of a sudden. Or just then left to get a cab home on her own because Gail's at the police station. She thinks Yikes. that they've gone home, but the desk sergeant tells them that they've gone to court for breaking bail. Nobody's, nobody's getting home, apparently. Nope. And at the court, Gail is quick to blame herself. She wants to put on the stand to explain. And then man says, this isn't, this isn't quite how this works. No. Paul is there to tell Gail that Nick and David were free to leave at any time and they chose not to, so it's their fault. Shona blames Nick, Leanne blames David and Gail, and everybody sighs. So at the court, Paula makes a decent case for Nick being an upstanding businessman who has 20 knicker people on his payroll who rely on his leadership. Which is incorrect. This she does to get him out of going to jail. When it comes to Imran's turn, work. he blames Gail for being such a fuckwit in staging the intervention mm-hmm. and then cites David's fear of his brother for the, his reason for not immediately running out, saying that David has reason to believe that Nick was responsible for the roof collapse and Rana's death. ruh But the court can't take any of that shit into consideration and are left with no choice but to hold the two of them in custody until their trial of issue. Yikes. Gail shouts that this is her fault, Shona tells her to shut up, and the judge asks if, if Gail wants to join the two of them. Mm-hmm. And then the two brothers are led away, and that is the end of this week's episodes. So I thought this whole trial thing was going to be this week, but it looks like it's going to be next week. Yeah. Oh well. They're dragging it out as long as they possibly can. It's not looking good for either, either of them one at of the them, moment. No. Because if it's one word against the other, then they're probably both going to go down. Yeah, they're both fucked. Until unless someone can. Until until Natalie. Natalie comes riding in on her on her on tiny, on tiny. With, with a, a unicorn, unicorn horn. <laughs> and Tim running at the back saying, "No, this cannot happen." And Natalie says, "I will solve all of this. It was me and Nick." <laughs> and this other person over here. Yeah, I wonder if we get to see um, Elsa again as well. Oh, I hope not. She's, She's too busy with Frozen 2. Right. Which comes out in November. Hilarious. So. <laughs> yeah, this thing is starting to get dragged out far too much. I, especially since, and it's frustrating. It's especially frustrating because so much of the Carla stuff has been condensed and moved off camera. And we haven't been, we haven't seen any of her recovery you know, which would be really important for the whole. Met- if if we're if we're doing this for the good of spreading mental health awareness, you'd think that they would have had a few scenes here and there the past couple of weeks of Carla in recovery and taking medication and slowly getting better, as opposed to we ship off crazy Carla and we get back non crazy Carla, who's only non crazy because she's take she's finally taking her medication and who refers to herself. Uh- as Doolally. Yeah. She's a, mm. she's a wee bit Doolally. That's because Carlisle is so close to Scotland. Which, <laughs> Most of her nurses were probably uh, Scottish. I'm just kind of tired with Nick not remembering that this was all his doing. This, right. He's a catalyst for he all this. He remembers. He just doesn't want to go down for this, mm. is the thing. I think Nick is going to find out somehow that Gary is the reason why the roof collapsed and throw Gary under the bus. Nah, I don't think that's happening at all. I don't think that's going to be coming out for months, if not... Years. A year or two, yeah. No! 
because if that comes out, then Gary, Gary being the villain kind of kind of dies a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. Moment of the week. I really liked the Leanne and Nick moment where Nick genuinely seemed torn by his brain injury. I thought that was pretty well acted, especially by Ben Price. <laughs> I hate to give Nick anything. Yeah, fair's fair. All right, fine. That's, That's our moment our... of the week. Moment of the week. Moment of the week. Boring of the moment of the week. Oh, I couldn't think of anything. Hmm. Peter and Carla and Simon pulling up in the rental car. And Simon saying his goodbyes. And Peter saying, we can drive off now anywhere you want. Was that boring? That wasn't really boring. It was boring because it's kind of it's kind of repetitive because he has said that sort of thing before. And we all know that that's not what, that's not what is going to happen. I guess. Yeah, that seems a fairly... I feel like not really boring, boring moment of the week, but it's just so hot in here, I don't really care anymore. Yeah. It's either that or Roy and Roy Peter. was ironing. Let's remember, Roy was ironing in, this, in Friday's episode. I right. Think, wasn't it? Maybe, or episode. maybe it's Roy and Peter trying to talk Carla out of a shower. Or just Roy ironing. <laughs> yes, but he was doing that while trying to talk Carla out of a quick shower, which... Two grown men should not be telling a grown woman when she can and cannot shower. Okay, that's a boring moment of the week. A boring moment of the week. So we started fairly early, so it's only 20 past nine. Yay, it's hot though. And I need to take a shower. Super hot. So if you want to make your views known to us, you're lucky enough to have a plethora of means to do so. We are at Corey Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com for all mail, Skype voicemails and PayPal tips if you're so inclined. And we have a blog that's the talk of the street podcast.wordpress.com. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode. Thank and you. And we shall be back next week with more Talk of the Street. Talk of the Street. Bye-bye. Cheerio. This episode was brought to you by Donahue Solicitors, an award-winning firm of expert compensation claims lawyers. Donahue Solicitors represents claimants throughout England and Wales in their civil actions against the police, data breach, personal injury, and professional negligence claims. To start your compensation claim, go to www.donahue-solicitors.co.uk or call 08000-124-246 today.